Hello, Paul. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very interesting and unusual Empire Podcast interview special. For the uninitiated, the George Lucas talk show is one of the best times you can have with your lumberjack shirt on. Created by and starring Connor Ratliff, the premise is fairly simple. Retired filmmaker George Lucas, a man who's made a film or two you might have heard of, has for some reason launched his own talk show with real guests and a real co-host in the form of the Phantom Menace's standout supporting character, Watto, played by Griffin Newman. GLTS, as I'm going to call it, began life as a regular show that you could only see in the flesh at the UCB Theatre in New York. That's where I saw it in December 2019, and I was instantly won over by its oddball combination of utter, deep-cut, hardcore geekery, seat-of-the-pants improvisational comedy, and genuinely good interviews with genuinely interesting, if somewhat befuddled, guests. When the pandemic hit in early 2020... The show was recalibrated somewhat and started living life online in a series of epic shows that have garnered it an army of fans and a series of high-profile guests, one of which, Rachel Segler, who ticks both boxes, co-hosted the recent Oscars live show, all five hours of it. In fact, Rachel Segler and I briefly discussed her love of the George Lucas talk show when she appeared on the Empire podcast a few weeks ago, and in the aftermath of that, a connection was forged between me and the guys behind the talk show, which is why you're about to hear a very special in-depth interview with Connor Ratliff, Griffin Newman, and their producer-slash-talent-booker-slash-co-host Patrick Cotner, which we recorded earlier this week on Zoom, ahead of their sure-to-be-triumphant shows in London this week, ahead of Star Wars Celebration. They're going to be at the Soho Theatre on Friday, April 7th, and Saturday, April 8th where they will be talking to a lineup of sensational guests, including the new young Princess Leia herself, Vivian Lyra Blair, and Dairy Girls' Nicola Coughlin. I had a fabuloso time talking to the guys. There was no deep regret in sight, and I hope you enjoyed this. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined in this very, very special Empire Podcast special, keeps saying the word special, by the, the holy trinity behind the George Lucas talk show. Connor Ratliff, Griffin Newman, and Pat Kotner. How are you all? Good. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time for us. I also feel bad. I feel like you backed yourself into a corner where you couldn't wriggle out of doing this episode now because you made the mistake of asking Rachel Zegler about us. <laughs> and then on Mike saying, I think I might have the guys on the podcast at some point. Yeah. And then choice. we like Beetlejuice heard that and appeared in your <laughs> inbox. <laughs> Very much like Beetlejuice. Very much like Beetlejuice. Yeah, chaotic. Forces well, of chaos. Well, now we've said it three times, so now you've added someone else to your inbox, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm waiting for Michael Keaton to arrive any second now. This might be the Beetlejuice 2 that people have been asking for for years. That's what the way it works. If you, if you say Beetlejuice three times, you officially book an on-mic interview with Michael Keaton. Is that... <laughs> he has no publicist. It's just... Yes, he just waits to be summoned. He's like, yeah. oh, for God's sake, he's mid-dinner. He goes, oh, I've got to go now. I've got to do an <laughs> oh, interview. Oh, boy. Got an interview. <laughs> <laughs> he is the ghost with the most, as I say. Well, you know, listen, I, I really have want, I've long wanted to have you guys on the, uh, on the pod. Uh, I, I've seen the George Lucas talk show in the flesh. I was just having a chat with Patrick and, and Connor about this before uh, Griffin showed up about five minutes late. But that's fine. We'll yeah, let it go. Yeah. As is tradition. As is tradition. That's, pretty good. I say that's no honestly pride. pretty good. It's honestly that, pretty good. Is that all right? Okay. You should, feel, you should honestly feel honest, and I feel <laughs> terrible. Uh, December 6th, 2019, I was in New York for the No Time to Die junket. Oh, wow. I'd heard so much about the George Lucas talk show, and this was my chance to see it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go because I'm sure there's not going to be a global pandemic that will cut off my access to New York. Uh, in a couple of months' time, so I'm, I'm just going to go. Will make this that will make this junket completely uh, inoperable for the next year and a half mm. until that movie comes out. Precisely. Yeah. I sat on that material for a long, long mm -hmm. time. Was that uh, Chris? Was that the Nebula's Rim show? No, it, was, it wasn't. Okay, I'm it was our time. it was our holiday special. Oh, sure. I think it was Isaac Mizrahi and Muppet Builder Raleigh Cruson were the two guests. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Does that does that sound right? Was that the lineup you saw? That is that is the lineup I saw. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. Uh, I'll I'll be honest. I had forgotten who the guests were. So uh, it's a good thing that Patrick has some sort of encyclopedic 
knowledge. You are like a one man Wikipedia. Chris, I am sick. My brain is broken. That's why I know that. (laughs) Also, Patrick has spent, I I don't know how much time uploading every live stage George Lucas talk show we ever did to IMDb as if it were a talk show, despite not being broadcast and video not being viewable of our pre-pandemic shows. Come get me, IMDb cops. Well, this is one of the things that I, I brought up with Rachel Segler because her her appearances on the George Lucas talk show are listed as credits on the IMDb and her appearances mm-hmm. on the Empire podcast are not. And I just got a bit of envy, obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm very envious of you guys just in general, but I was properly jealous of that and furious, a little bit furious, I have to say. But Listen, you can do it. Be the change you want to see in the world. You know, you're the guy who has to upload this. If you want to... If you want this to happen, you're the only one to blame, you know? Or or you can apparently hire Patrick Cotner, professional IMDb filibuster, who finds a way to get (laughs) whatever he wants up there. They love me there. Patrick, we've done about a thousand episodes. Do you have time? Look, we can discuss rate once we're done recording. (laughs) Let's discuss it now. We have no money. Patrick famously will not discuss his rate on microphone. (laughs) I just... (laughs) It's uncomfortable. People don't like talking about money, you know. I can imagine so. I can imagine so. Uh, but but listen, um, I'm very very excited to to talk to you guys. And you you're coming across to London this week. You're going to be doing two two shows in London mm-hmm. at the Soho Theatre, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is exciting. Uh, for for those who haven't had the experience, who perhaps have not watched the George Lucas talk show um, since the pandemic began, you were on you know you've, you've been on Twitch. You know you've got YouTube. You've become a phenomenon. Um, but for those who maybe haven't seen the show, can you describe it? Connor, th- this all began with you. Yeah, I mean, the the simple description of it um, is that I pretend to be retired filmmaker George Lucas as talk show host. The idea being that I, I started it right about the time he had, he had just sold um, Lucasfilm to Disney. And I had this notion, uh, because I used to do an impression for my friends of George Lucas, um, in the nineties. And it was just to amuse each other. And so I had this, I wanted to do a show at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. I was trying to think what, uh, what would work. And I thought, well, maybe if I talk to people as George, that would be funny. Um, because he's the least likely candidate for, uh, as Griffin often describes, uh, a, a, a personality based medium, uh, where you're forward facing and it's all, all built on, uh, uh, charisma. You know, the George Lucas is, you know, if you look at most interviews, they're all sort of pitched at this level, you know, and, and then we did the first one and I realized that it was funny to, um, have guests that had nothing to do with Star Wars. And find a way of making Lucas make the connection to, if not Star Wars, then American Graffiti or Willow or Labyrinth or one of the, you know, 10 sort of key Lucas, um, culture points. And, and it immediately became kind of a fun game, which was I would just have my comedian friends on the show and then I'd find a way of saying like, Oh, well, you obviously were influenced by me. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? And then I would draw a connection between, well, you wrote for 30 Rock and it made these jokes about Star Wars. And therefore, you know, usually with the conclusion of you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, it it was. And and for a while, that was sort of the sole uh, kind of game of the of the podcast was that we'd come on. People would talk about things as if they were promoted. I would always tell people, just act like you got like Griffin as himself was a guest on the second show and he, and he, it was, uh, when the movie draft day was coming out. So I told Griffin, he has a small supporting role in draft day, but it's not the kind of role that you get booked on the tonight show to go promote. So I said, we'll have a clip, come on the show. We'll talk and treat this like the studio has said, you're booked on the George Lucas talk show to promote your movie. And I was very excited. I'm like, episode number two, I've got a real actor promoting a real movie that is in theaters. <laughs> we got a clip, you know, it was one of those things where it's you, you're sort of playing at the genre of talk, TV talk show host. Uh, and we were treating them as if they were um, live test shows, as if it was going to go onto a network um you know, in a few months, because because we had all worked on a show called The Chris Gether Show, and we had literally done a thing like this where before it went on TV, you know, we started doing these shows in comedy theaters just to prep to prep for going on broadcast cable television. 
And that's still the joke when we're doing these shows. Uh, anyway, I started off, I had a friend of mine, comedian uh, Sean Diston, was my sidekick, Jar Jar Binks. Uh, and then eventually he booked work out in L.A., uh, writing on a, a show called Wrecked on TBS, a sitcom right. and sort of a a, a a parody sort of of Lost, and uh, and Griffin came to me at that point. And uh, if you want to set this part up, Griffin, uh, how you came into the show? So I I had done the second show, and and beyond being friends with Connor, I was a humongous fan of all of Connor's work. Uh, Connor did a bit that's started on uh, the Chris Gethard show that I was a humongous fan of where he was running for president solely on the platform that he was 35 and thus old enough to be president. That is the age that is in the constitution. That's clearly that age was not chosen arbitrarily. It is what our forefathers intended. I'm the only candidate who is close to what the forefathers wanted. I'm 35. I'm old (laughs) enough to be president. Ratliff 2012. And I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen anyone do. Connor did this bit for two years. Uh in like multiple mediums. I, yeah, I started off in the uh, summer of 2011 announcing that 35 was the perfect age. I was 35. And then a month after I announced, I had to publicly apologize for turning 36. I'd built my whole campaign around being the perfect age. And then I broke my promise immediately by aging uh, out of this perfect uh, uh, number. But still closer than any other candidate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, major candidate. Um, but yes, I, I was a humongous fan of all of Connor's work. And then after doing that George Lucas talk show, I, I came basically every month to see it for whatever it was those first two years. And around that same time, I started doing my podcast with David Sims, which would eventually become Blank Check. But for that first year was exclusively about the Star Wars prequels, a bit that we thought was evergreen. And we eventually uh, retired and morphed into a thing that was a lot more evergreen. Um, but in that year, I was so hyper fixated on Watto and doing impressions of Watto and trying to untangle why, as a child, I was so fond of Watto, a character who, beyond being a pretty gross anti-Semitic stereotype, and I say this as a Jew, uh, is also just like the most unsavory character in all of Star Wars, is explicitly a slave owner who is keeping a child in his stead the little boy that the audience is supposed to relate to and here's this character they're throwing all over merchandise and like pushing almost second behind jar jar binks as like the funny new character you know this is the one for kids so i was obsessed with with watto and i knew sean was moving to la and there was this void in the george lucas talk show and i went to connor hat in hand and was like i have this watto impression force awakens had just come out and i had put together my own Watto costume to dress up as Watto to opening night Force Awakens. And I just said, like, please, please let me do this. Please let me be part of the show. And Connor was kind of noncommittal about it. I thought he wasn't really sold on the idea of me doing it. And then years later, Connor revealed to me that he just thought I was going to bail on it, that I wouldn't (laughs) commit to doing it monthly. Yeah, I mean, you had already been like a series regular on TV shows and you were about to do The Tick, I think, at that point. And I was like, there's just no way that you're going to book something and there's no way that you will keep showing up at five minutes to midnight uh, to do this comedy show in the East Village. And then uh, when The Tick started, you did two full seasons of The Tick where if you weren't filming, and some days you would come from filming, you'd film all day. I'd have to bring yes. my water costume to set like far out in Queens. And then I would, yeah, I'd get there like five minutes before. I mean, there were, there were days where it's like Friday, you have like call time creep on a TV show where you start out, yeah. you know, filming at five o'clock in the morning until five o'clock, you know, in the evening. But then every day gets a little later, a little later, a little later. So by the end of the week, they're trying to squeeze as much final stuff as they can in there. And I would like wrap at 11 p.m. and then rush over to the theater to do a midnight show. And Connor would always be like, I can't believe you're doing this on a day when you're filming. And it was kind of the joy of being Wada was like, no matter how exhausted, stressed out and grumpy I was, it only could possibly benefit playing Wado. It like only go- went into the soup of the general demeanor. 
I also think, and th- this sort of carries over into what happened to us and the show during pandemic, which is that, you know, I, I don't think either of us are what the public would perceive as like method where we lose ourselves in the character and we do this. But there is a kind of madness that goes on, which is if you are feeling unwell and you start pretending to be somebody else, sometimes for an hour or so you forget your problems. And that can include uh, back injuries and things that you have acquired while filming. Like there were times where you were like, I'm in pain from uh, uh, something that happened on the tick. But then when you were Watto, like for one hour, you were kind of in another, in another realm. And I've certainly yeah. had that where I've, I've been literally sick or I've been, uh, um, you know, uh, depressed or out of my mind during like various points of pandemic where the idea of, I'm just going to pretend to be George for a while and forget my troubles, pack up my troubles in my old handbag, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being on set and like the other my castmates being like, "Explain to me why you are going <laughs> to a tiny theater at midnight after filming all week when you are the co-star of a TV show for a show that pays you in drink tickets where you're going to dress in like basically footy pajamas and a toy elephant nose." Yeah. And my answer at the time was just like, it, it, "It's a it's a different kind of rush that you can never get from being on." camera of of doing a weird comedy show late at night for an audience of weirdos where kind of anything flies you know but i think connor's right that the other part of it was like there's there's almost something uh therapeutic perhaps in an unhealthy way that connor and i have been able to filter whatever else is going on in our lives through like Watto and george lucas as our release valves Absolutely. And did they understand? Did your co-stars understand? I know. No, absolutely not. They said, you're demented. Go home, go to sleep. <laughs> did they come and see the show at any point? I know. I think the Serpent, which was a guest, wasn't he at one point? Yes, we had. We ended up having a show uh, with Brendan Hines and Scott Spicer, Michael Severus, uh, and Peter Serafinowicz. Did Jackie O'Haley do it too? I feel like we had mm-hmm. most of the male cast. Yeah, they did. No, they, they got it a little more when they did it. And it, look, it's a thing I think we pride ourselves on and Patrick can talk about this, but like the hardest part of booking guests for the show is just explaining it to them. I feel like Connor and I basically just gave you a combined 15 minute answer that barely, barely scratched (laughs) the surface. It's still probably incoherent to your listeners. But when when we are able to successfully talk people into doing the show afterwards, they always have had a fun time in a way where they're kind of surprised. They're like, well, I didn't realize it was like this, you know, and it doesn't matter who they are. And if they're a very serious actor or there's someone who's well known, but isn't a performer, you know, someone who doesn't think they're funny or doesn't feel comfortable on stage or feels comfortable, but not doing something improvised without a script or as themselves or whatever it is. And I, I, I'm, I struggle to think of someone who came on and didn't really thoroughly enjoy themselves and have that same sort of catharsis. Mm-hmm. that we're talking about of just like that was just fun i never get to do anything like this uh, we, we've had a, a, a lot of uh, uh, that's sort of almost always the main goal particularly with in-person shows is to if if there's most of the time if you can get to that yes yes i'll do the show that means they're already to some extent on board you know that's that's 80 percent of the battle is getting them to show up yeah but Always one of the main goals is before entertaining the audience, we want to make sure the guests having agreed to do this thing that uh, the only benefit to doing the show is to have a fun time doing the show. And we, if we have a fun time and the guests have a fun time, the audience will have a fun time. And I, I can remember one time, um, and uh, comedian Wyatt Snack was on the show, and we felt really lucky that we had gotten him on the show. And we remember he showed up, and at first it seemed like he was like every now and then we've had a guest where you feel like they have agreed to something a month in advance, and then when the time comes and it's Friday night at midnight, they're sort of quite reasonably thinking like, "Why did I agree to this? Or what is <laughs> what am I doing here?" And I remember thinking like, "Oh no, I think he seems like he's kind of mad." I remember he like sat down and it looked like he was like taking a little cat nap before the I, show. I, I think he fully. Well, I remember him going to the green room because the show's also was at midnight at that yeah. point in time. Yeah, I remember him going to the green room and falling asleep for like ten minutes pre-show. 
and we were like, oh no, I, I wonder if uh, he's not going to enjoy this. Like, cause I've, we've all done things like that where we commit to something two months in advance and then thinking like, sure. Yeah. Two months. That's a long time from now. I'll love doing this. And then you get closer. You're like, why did I agree? And <laughs> this show by its very nature is almost the target. Uh, example of that kind of thing. Like I'm going to be interviewed by a fake what by a, and a, and a pretend who <laughs> at midnight for nobody, you know, for dozens of people in a small packed, a packed, but very small theater. And I remember we started doing that show and there was a point very early on where I started, uh, I started sort of defending George Lucas in a way that, because I'm always on George's side in the show, of course. and to the point to the point where I'm I pretty much default on George's side in real life, and I, obviously he's someone who's always been a hero of mine. But now, almost in any argument, I can defend any George Lucas film as like, well, you may not like it. I won't necessarily say this is a a great film, but here's what's cool about it. I I'm, I have the George uh, brief for anything, and there was a point where I started. Uh, defending, I think defending Jar Jar Binks as a character in principle. I remember Wyatt sort of perked up and he realized like, oh, I'm going to spar with a fake, I'm going to spar intellectually, culturally with a fake George Lucas and I can say whatever I want with no career repercussions. Um, <laughs> and it was one of the most fun conversations because you could just see that it was like, oh, this isn't something you do every day, you know? And I think that's, yeah. that's one of the, you know, one of the things that I would say is, is, um, as weird as the show is, it's also, I think, uh, still surprising, even to people who've been attending the show, uh, for years, um, you know, we just did a couple of shows in New York the other night where I think we surprised ourselves a few times during the show. This is after doing it for hundreds of hours. And I'm like, if we're, if we're surprised that something is happening, we know that even the people who've been there from day one are probably like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. You know, Patrick, I want to, I want to talk to you as well about, about booking yeah. the show. Uh, and uh, cause you, you were, you came on second after, you know, obviously began with Connor. Then you came on second and, you know, if Griffin's turning up five minutes before a show, straight from the set of the tick, uh, it feels like there's a flying by the seat of the pants quality at times to the show. Has that been has that translated to you booking guests? Has it has it been tricky? Have there have there been moments when you've been about to go on and you've got nobody? <laughs> What's it been like? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's tricky. Sometimes we'll get to a point where we're like, oh, we have a show next week and we don't have anyone. But it, I don't I think it's feeling. ever not worked <laughs> out eventually, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of a time where it was like, oh, we just have no one this week. Um, so that's been good. But yeah, I uh, I went to the first show and Connor said like 10 minutes before the show, he goes, I had a warm up comic. They cannot come to the show. We need someone to do warm up for this show. I'm not I'm not a performer per se, like I'm not a stand up, but I did do the warm up for that show that night and it went fine. It was OK. And then I just started coming to the show more often uh and eventually i was having a conversation with connor and someone out in the lobby at ucb and he introduced me as his producer and i was like oh is that what i am like he had never mentioned this he had never said that like it was just something that he assumed uh because i was helping set up chairs or whatever like filming the show for him that i was his producer so that was uh uh when i first got you know trick tricked into this 10 year uh journey <laughs> odyssey what do we want to call it um but yeah it's 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 definitely hard finding guests it's definitely like a challenge i think i have it a little more uh succinctly i'm able to explain it a little more succinctly than these two but it's still like a very confusing you know thing and i feel like a lot of people as soon as they hear it they're like i don't know what that is i'm not going to do that which is fine <laughs> like i totally get it it's not for everybody but it is one of those things where if you can send them the right clips from the right shows or like tell them that the right person was on, you know, as soon as you say Whoopi Goldberg was on, like, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, OK, well, like, why did Whoopi do this? You know, why? Why was Seth Meyers there? Why were all these people there? And it sort of becomes like, uh, well, are you better? You think you're better than Whoopi Goldberg? Like, you're not going to do this, but Whoopi did it. Come on. Um so that's usually my go-to way of doing it is just like dropping so many names and so many like things that have happened because of the show that 
you know, more often than not, people will want to do it. Um, and it's, you know, it's been crazy, especially during the pandemic when we did so much of it that like it has word has spread around to a lot of cool people about this show. And we have a lot of people who are like, I want to come on. I want to come on. And like the timing hasn't worked out. But like, I feel like we have a cool backlog of people where it's like, well, let's check in with this person. Let's check in with this person. And and we know they'll do it eventually. Um, so it's been, yeah, you know, it's a fun challenge. What's what's been like booking guests uh, for the UK shows? Uh, it, it was good. It was, you know, it's nice that it was the same weekend as Celebration and we were able to get a lot of cool uh, Star Wars related people for this one specifically, just because we want to get those people who are going to Celebration to come to the shows. You know, like when you say, oh, we've got Sebulba, those little Star Wars <laughs> nerds, their ears are perking up, you know? Exactly. Um, so we have a lot of a lot of Star Wars related guests. We have the, the girl who played uh, little Princess Leia and Kenobi. We have one of the puppeteers for BBA. We have Sebulba. We have, uh, you know, the, the first night is a Phantom Menace night where we've got this one guy who played like six or seven characters in the Phantom Menace and like a guy who worked in props for that one and then worked on all the Disney movies doing a similar a similar job. Um, so it, it's definitely challenging just because I feel like we know fewer people there, you know, mm-hmm. so it's a lot more like cold reach outs versus, uh, you know, either someone connecting us or like, Hey, we know this person. We know your friend. Like, that's just not as it doesn't happen as much. But then we also have like Nicola Coughlin from Dairy Girls and and uh, uh, Bridgerton and stuff. And that's our one non Star Wars guest. So I'm very uh, excited and curious to see how the show goes. I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a good group and a cool group. And tickets are selling well. They're almost uh, the first show's almost sold out. And the second show's got not that many tickets left. Um, yeah, and so it, it, it's it's interesting because we are not, dis- despite what a lot of people might think, oh, this is a Star Wars show. Yeah. Even on Phantom Menace Night, <clears throat> I predict that while we obviously are going to talk about the Phantom Menace, part of what's interesting about the show is that, like, we're not, we're not, we don't think of ourselves as, like, a Star Wars show, you know? Yeah. Most of the time, we have guests who have no real connection, and then we find a way of, like... But a lot of times, like, I imagine we will probably talk about more things that don't have to do with The Phantom Menace than a show mm-hmm. that had three Phantom Menace guests on it would normally tackle. Yeah. Like, we're always looking for, like, what is the fun what is the fun way of veering to the side and finding out, well, what else have you been working on? Or, like, let's talk yeah. about this or that, you know? Let's talk about anything else but Star Wars, is that basically? <laughs> well, yeah. Very often, yeah. You know, I think these... Our our two London dates, uh, because we're mostly going to be playing to an audience, I think, who will be in town for celebration or even if they live in London are perhaps already uh, going to celebration. And we booked uh, guests with a far more of a Star Wars focus than we usually do. Even still, I imagine at a high, it will be 50% Star Wars and 50% completely unrelated nonsense, you know? <laughs> Uh, there, I mean, there's also a funny degree to which, um, especially when we have people on who have worked odd jobs in Hollywood, have varied careers and this and that, mm-hmm. you know, if we're a Star Wars themed, uh, comedy show, ostensibly, we're remiss if we don't ask them about their Star Wars experience. But I think all three of us love to dig deep into someone's IMDb. And we are all such nerds that there is almost always some bizarre project that we care about too much that no one else would ever ask them about that we just take the time on stage to get shake some answer out of <laughs> whether or not it would make sense for George Lucas or Watto to have any interest in that thing. Fair enough. Is Vivian Lyra Blair the youngest guest you've ever had? Yeah, right? so. We had um we had Jake Ryan who was in yeah. the movie Eighth Grade, the Bo Burnham movie. Okay, yeah. And I think he was probably like thirteen or something like that, and she's I think ten. I think like pandemic live streams we had a few guests who were maybe either holding babies or had toddlers walk into the sure, back of the sure. of the Zoom or whatever it was. <laughs> but yeah. in terms of formally announced book guests, she has to be the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. It's officially past her bedtime when you guys start. That's Look, I'm point. very curious to see how it goes. I'm very excited for her to meet Watto. I'm very interested to see what that relationship is. She's definitely the first person we've had, I think, who's within, who's who's that that deeply uh, in the center of the Skywalker bloodline, right? 
Mm. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. On, on, the, on the on the on the Star Wars family tree, that's the one that's closest to the <laughs> the 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 heart of the beating heart of it. Yeah. It's gonna be wild. Also, you, I, I suspect Friday and Saturday you're gonna have some hardcore fans who've seen the show in the flesh a, a number of times. I, I, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm very curious to see because we know that uh, we know that there's <laughs> we're hoping to get an, a really interesting kind of audience because we know there's some like expat American uh, uh, George Lucas talk show fans who are going to be there, and we also know that. You know, Star Wars celebration happens during the day. There's not, uh, there's not anything happening at nine fifteen. So a, a big hope would be that there'd be some people who spend all day doing Star Wars celebration stuff, and that we become their late night fun option. You know, just being being in the London's West End, I hope we get at least a few people who are like, "What's going on at the Soho Theater downstairs uh, tonight?" and who just wander in, have no idea what it is, and uh, go along for the ride. And then go, what the hell is happening downstairs? <laughs> There's a man pretend to be George Lucas with a, another man who it seems to be wearing a toy elephant nose and Princess <laughs> Leia's down there and it's all gone weird. The goal is always for for audience members to say what the hell just happened. I think that's like the that's the peak. If we can get yeah. that, we've got it in the bag. You know, it's it's interesting because for years we basically were only performing out of the UCB theater. And Patrick would film the shows for posterity just on his cell phone, but we were never releasing them. Connor really loved the idea of you have to be there in the room. This isn't going to live in other forms. And, and uh, I mean, a thing that was so much fun about that era was we would often have people on who, you know, worked on big projects and would accidentally break NDAs because it's midnight and it's the end of a week and they're tired and they've had a couple drinks maybe and they forget and we always had this sort of cone of secrecy where, like, uh, you know, someone would come on and accidentally drop a plot point on a Disney movie they were working on or something, uh, or a behind-the-scenes production story on a giant project they worked on, and we would just say, please, everyone be cool about this. No one share it. And no one ever tweeted about it. It never got out. So we kind of liked being small and contained like that. And then in the pandemic, we, we you know, uh, once we wanted to start doing the show again, suddenly it became a thing that anyone in the world could watch, both live and later when it would live on on our YouTube channel. So I think the last couple of years have been a lot of us sort of going like, how many fans do we have in each of these places, you know? And and touring a little bit in a piecemeal way, but London's certainly the furthest we've gone. And we we have, for most years, I don't know how long it's been now, done a panel at New York Comic Con. And that's always really fun because even though it's local for us, when we started doing that, we were only a UCB show and we didn't know how many people are going to be coming who are our regular audience and also are planning on going to New York Comic Con. And how many of them are just going to be people who are here at Comic Con, maybe from out of town and see this thing on the program. You know, they just see this as an event happening and they show up at this panel. Are they thinking it's the real George Lucas? Are they thinking, why is George Lucas in such a small room at such a bad time slot? Um, but it's been, you know, we were really nervous going into that first show the first year, whenever it was, 2017 maybe, that we did near Comic-Con. And it's been fun every year doing those shows where we have maybe more of a 50-50 split of people who are absolute first-timers, maybe have no frame of reference, and our regular audience. Who happen to be there and i think the the london shows might be similar to that uh where you know it's it's a mix of people who already know what we are and a mix of people maybe who are listening to this podcast right now and decide to take a flyer on us um and and yeah are just looking for something to do in the evenings when the convention floor is closed well i, I can hardly recommend it but i i i also know where you're coming from because we're doing a show at celebration we're doing a, a live podcast on on saturday and celebration and I have no idea if anyone's going to turn up. I, I I know from going on Twitter and saying, hey, we're going to be doing this thing at Celebration. There, there are people going, we're there, we're going to be there. But there's also people here like, what the hell is this? And they're yeah. just going to walk straight by. But we've got Empire in their name, so that might drag people in. Yeah, you'll you get know? people who you'll get people who are aware because it's obviously it's the it's the UK movie magazine for decades now. I when I I went to drama school in England and Empire magazine was always like that was that Q Mojo. There was like I had a monthly series of magazines that I would always get. And 
Uh, but the, you'll also get people who are there who are like, oh, this must be uh, a film podcast about the Empire from Star Wars. Uh, this is the Empire that famously struck back. We'll go see what this is. I guess this guy's <laughs> going to pretend to be some sort of Imperial guard or something. They'll be completely baffled to see you in casual clothing. I wonder if they're people who are outraged. They see it on the lineup. They're like, they're platforming the Empire. They're really going to give them the space to talk in this middle of this convention to espouse <sighs> their beliefs. <laughs> These are space it's about time. fascists. Yes. yes. Very fine people on both sides, Griffin. Very fine people <laughs> on both sides. That's true. That's true. Make the empire great again. That's what I say. First order, we love you. Stand by. <laughs> and stand tall. <laughs> we'll be the spark that lit the flame, that did the thing. We'll, we'll be, we'll, that'll be us. That'll be us Perfect. on Saturday. We're also, I mean, this is also sort of um, going to be a big year for us in terms of the UK because uh, we're we're going to be back in August with uh, a pretty massive uh, thing that we're trying to do, and that will include doing several uh, George Lucas talk shows as part of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Amazing! Are you going to be swinging by London at that point as well? I mean, the hope is that if Edinburgh goes well, that London will be seeing more of us because we we have uh, written and are putting together an original George Lucas talk show play, a dramatic, legitimate play called The Baron and the Junk Dealer that's going to be performing in Edinburgh in August. And this is a play in which George and Watto will be basically... Not that this is going to make it sound more complicated than it really is, but the play is basically our version of True West or Waiting for Godot, the great, you know, the great theatrical plays of all time. But it is me and Griffin playing George and Watto playing characters in a play. Now, to the audience, they're just going to see the characters. They don't need to go deep into our process, but it's going to be... Uh, for people who stagger in, they won't need to know that it's George and Water. That's a sort of a secret layer within the within the dramatic uh, production. But it's a play about two fugitives who crash land. They're they're basically fugitives who bought passage on a cargo ship. Uh, they're both on the run. They don't know each other, and the ship crashes on a desolate planet. And they're the only two survivors. And then we watch the interplay between these two strangers who are suspicious of one another. Um, I play an unnamed Baron Griffin slash Waddle will play an unnamed junk dealer. And then we see the way these two characters who have very little in common, uh, and they, and they have, they, they have the ability to send out a distress signal, but they don't know if this signal is going out to, um, it could be heard by people, the very people they're running from who then will come and capture and or kill them. Or it could be uh, salvation. They could be rescued, and it's a survive. It's a survival play, and we're gonna we're gonna do this, and it will be the George Lucas talk show's first foray into the realm of legitimate theater. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Sign me up. <laughs> you're, you're you know what? You're first on the list. We've signed you up. We're signing you up <laughs> on go. the list. I'm in. I'm in. Is that how plays work? You you, you sign people up. I don't know, but that is how our play will work. We have a list. Yeah. You are the only name on it so far, but what a, what a way to start. <laughs> this feels like something that's going to be passed off onto me. <laughs> I'm going to have to worry about some list now. Yeah, you have to, you have, so, you're over the book, everybody. This is your, this is your you, thing. I guess. Yeah. I've got to let you guys go in a second, but I wanted to ask about just how things ballooned for you during, you know, once you, once you went virtual. Now, was there a big discussion behind that uh, initially? Was that just an attempt to keep sane? <laughs> and then it has absolutely, I think, just turned the, you know, put the show in, in, into another, another sphere. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, we, we were prepping for our May the 4th live show in New York. Like we were getting ready for it already. We had guest booked and everything. And then it hit a point where Connor was stuck in Missouri. Griffin and I were in various places in New York. Um, and I was in one place. Let's make it clear. Don't make it sound like I was hopping all around. I was in, in Queens. You were in Manhattan. That's two different places. <laughs> no, but you say we were in various places. It sounds like we were living it up. March 2020. <laughs> I mean, jet setting around. Oh, I heard stories. Um, no, it was. Uh, but but we, you know, we obviously needed something to do. And we were all losing our minds and we were all going crazy, just like everyone else. And uh, Chris Gethard had started this Twitch channel up that was you know gaining some traction he had some cool people working on it and we 
uh, Griffin and I had to convince Connor that it would be a good idea to do something that was, you know, a more permanent thing than the um, the live show and and that it would be helpful for us, helpful for people watching. You know, it would be something that, that people could like latch on to in such a weird time. And well, that was it, the real impetus was, yeah, we we wanted to do something for the, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater where we had performed for years, had had permanently closed its New York location and their whole staff was out of work at a time where many, many people were out of work and really uh, scared. So we wanted to do something to try to raise money. There was a, a Kickstarter that had been started, a relief fund for the UCB employees in both New York and LA. Um, so we had this idea of doing this sort of endurance test, 31 hour, let's watch every Star Wars movie in real time on camera, uh, including the Ewok films. Connor was very adamant. Yeah, if you don't do special. the two Ewok movies, why, why even bother? So yeah. we did that for 31 hours and had different guests pop in and out. And we ended up raising a lot of money uh, for that fund. And then that sort of kickstarted the thing of... Uh, maybe we can do a little good through this incredibly silly thing. Um, and so, yeah, it, 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 the pandemic mostly was using the show to try to raise money for different causes, different businesses, different, you know, uh, funds of workers who were on hold, you know, in their, in their careers. And then it all kind of snowballed from there. I was in addition to feeling like, Oh, we're, uh, I don't want to do the show. Uh, I was very wary that I'm like, the second we open this up to the internet, I just imagined this, this nice little thing we'd built. I just imagined like uh, a flood of angry Star Wars fans. Um, cause every now and then when we did the show at the theater, I, one of my favorite things that would happen every now and then was, I remember one night someone said there were two people who showed up five minutes to midnight. And they were very angry when they learned it wasn't the real George Lucas. And these are people who, mind you, showed up at a theater at 11.55 on a Friday night in New York City to a venue that seats like 150 people. And they thought that George Lucas was doing a $5 comedy show and there were tickets still available. <laughs> uh <laughs> and the the um, but I just imagine, look, we're going to have comments for the, for the first time. It's going to be people being angry. It's going to be people not getting the joke. And I was so pleasantly surprised and, and have remained so that we have um, sort of uh, managed to, to attract a small but devoted and very kind Audience, I think any any like negativity, I think we tend to like drive away pretty quickly because we're having fun with anything that is good or bad about Star Wars or Lucasfilm. Like we're even the stuff that's silly or stuff that we think, ooh, that's not a very good movie. We have fun with it. We're not mad about it. We're um, it, it, to to the extent that there's any, you know, uh, at one point somebody a reviewer described the show as being like a form of cultural criticism because we're inherently both celebrating and also like uh, um, satirizing and spoofing the things that don't work about uh, Star Wars and various other kind of Lucas things, but we do it with such affection that it's not, uh, it doesn't have that poison that we're also that specific flavor. We've all unfortunately become so familiar with of people who are like, I'm mad because I don't like this or that about whatever, mm -hmm. you know, the same thing that actually drove George Lucas away from Star Wars, which is why would I make any more when all people do is yell at you and tell you what a bad person you are for making more Star Wars. <laughs> We are, we are, we are, I think, a, a, a small little antidote uh, to that sort of negativity that I think makes it less fun. You know, I, I think it's great. One of the great things about Star Wars Celebration is even just the naming of it is like it very clearly when you go there, it's a very positive atmosphere because it's in the title. Like we're, if you're this isn't like if you want to complain about it, like go somewhere else. This is people who are enjoying a thing that is meant to be enjoyed. Yeah, Star Wars complaining is a completely different convention. It's just down the road. <laughs> you want to go there? Yeah. Yeah. It's Star Wars that. resignation. Yeah. It's yeah. across town from Star Wars celebration. Yeah, it should just be in the very shallow water of like the coldest beach in the world. And it's just like you just go walk, <laughs> walk waist level into some very cold water and stand there. 
Yeah, there's there's a panel at twelve o'clock on Saturday where people just walk on stage and shake their fist in the general direction <laughs> of Ryan Johnson, and then they walk off again, and that's and that's what that panel is. <laughs> Nothing else but that. Um, well, listen, guys, I, I do have to let you go. I just want to ask one last question, which is about the 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 ultimate guest for you all. You know, I, 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 have you tried to get the real George over the years, and how far did you get him? So. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely tried. Uh, it's something that I think it, we we have to assume at this point it's been on his radar in some capacity. Um, we've gotten responses from his team, and it's you know, he's a he's a man who's enjoying his retirement and does not do a lot of stuff. Like you don't see him do a lot of interviews that often. Maybe someday it'll happen. You know, it's it's not from not from lack of trying. I do think we try to. Uh space out our attempts and make them count. We have taken a couple swings and gotten very uh, considerate responses back. We've sort of made it to his office, whether it has made it all the way to him or if it's, you know, uh, the the not right now is coming from someone else directly. Mm -hmm. uh, It always feels like it is at least being considered by them. Uh, we don't want to pester him to the high heavens, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, we want him to do it if he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whenever that moment happens for him, that will be the right time. The physically, physically, we've gotten onto Skywalker Ranch. We, uh, a fan of the show, invited us not into the buildings but onto the property, uh, and and. I would say that for me, the the big triumph that I I think the show has achieved uh, is that very early on in the show, uh, because the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, which is uh, now scheduled to open in L.A. in 2025, we have been talking about it on the show for so long, like before it had its location. We talked about it when it was a potential for Chicago or San Francisco. We talked about it for so long that there are many We've heard from many people who attend the show that then when they found out that it was a real thing, they realized it wasn't some bit we were doing, which is George's opening a museum. And we have a positive uh, um, sort of parasocial relationship with the Lucas Museum online in that they have retweeted, they have liked. We made a song with a music video celebrating the yet-to-be-opened Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. And we have been among its biggest boosters, uh, even when it was still just uh, in its idea phase. I do feel like our, and a big part of the show, maybe bigger than Star Wars at times, has been celebrating, for instance, the works of Norman Rockwell, which George Lucas <laughs> and Steven Spielberg are two of the biggest fans in the world. They have two of the biggest they, collections. They competitively collect, like Indiana Jones and Belloc. They're like chasing to see who can get to each Rockwell first. <laughs> there there was a year, many years ago, where I turned to Patrick uh, before one of the shows and I said, I think we're going to start doing a lot more Norman Rockwell stuff this year. He's like, what are you talking about? What and did that be- even mean? How could I'm that like, ever I'm like, I, I just feel like there's a lot there. And I feel like, uh, you know, the New York Times just did an article about the museum and a lot of people in the media have been very snarky about this thing that it's his billion dollar museum that he is paying for. It's not taking public funds. It's his gift to the world. It's his, this is his big thing. And not enough people are talking about it. And certainly not enough people are talking enthusiastically about it in a pub, in a forward facing way. I feel like this museum is our ticket to eventually having some form of connection because we are big boosters of it in a legitimate, we have fun with it, but we also are very much like this thing's going to be awesome. I think that is the real dream show is not only getting George Lucas as a guest, but perhaps doing George Lucas at the Lucas museum with George Lucas. Yeah. Just and for me, the dream is we do that interview and it is all about Norman Rockwell. We don't talk about Star Wars even once. Like, I don't even bring it up. George doesn't even bring it up to George. Just like, what do you think of these Norman Rockwells? We we I mean, one of the other guys we've obviously thought of as a, a dream guest, a white whale for a long time as Mark Hamill, who's another person where we've gotten close to that conversation and the timing has never worked out. But one of our ideas is, look, I don't know how appealing it is for this guy, the idea of going on a Star Wars themed comedy show, right? And being interviewed by his fake former boss. Uh, 
So, you know, one of our pitches at one point was, uh, if, if, if Mark, if you will come on the show, we will never talk about Star Wars once. It will not be invoked. <laughs> there will not be a single Star Wars question. And we realized one of his first credits was he played one of the main voices on the I Dream of Genie animated series that Hanna-Barbera did in the 70s. And we said, what if the show is Hamill-Barbera? And despite the fact that a fake George Lucas is interviewing you, we, the only thing we're going to talk about is the work of Hanna-Barbera. Yes. Both your own personal involvement and your, your fandom. We, you know, you're a prolific voiceover actor, fan of animation. What if that's the only subject? So I think similarly, if we ever get George Lucas, it would not be the the interview that I think maybe people would expect it. To be. And and uh, Hamill Barbera, that's still a dream show because that uh, yes. th that can be a fundraiser uh, for the, the charity or organization of Mark's choice. But I believe I, I I have a hope in my heart that I think Hamill Barbera will will happen. I hope. And by the way, the alternate pitch is if he doesn't want to have to be the only guest for the full show, the alternate pitch is Hamill Barb Sarah, where it's Mark Hamill. Shana Purser, Barb from Stranger Things, and Michael Sarah, and we go, look, we're going to buffer you out with two other great guests. We'll talk about the work of Hamill Barbera, and it will be Hamill, Barb, and Sarah. I'm there. Again, sign me up. That's how it works. This is so. a very serious thing that we have talked about for years. <laughs> Patrick, I'm sign, the name sign down. him up. I'm putting the name on the list. Yeah. Don't worry. Put him on the great. list. Great. Oh, amazing. Well, guys, I do have let to go, because Michael Keaton's been trying to get into this chat room for the last oh. hour, so... <laughs> Uh, so it's uh, and pa Patrick, you gotta get a flight. You gotta fly. I know. I gotta go. You gotta go. I'll, gotta I'll get see packed. you guys in a couple days. Yeah. I'm gonna see you in real life in a few days, Chris. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be absolutely amazing. I hope we get a chance to say hello. If not, next time you're over, definitely come in. We'll do something in the studio. I have many, many more questions to ask you, but I do have to let you go. Uh, Patrick, Connor, Griffin, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having us. Okay, so that was Connor Ratliff, Griffin Newman and Patrick Kotner. And if Mark Hamill and George Lucas are listening to this, and I know you are, then get in touch with them on Twitter and sort out that guest appearance. Oh, and come on the Emperor podcast while you're at it. You can find Connor on Twitter as at Connor Ratliff, Griffin as at Griff Lightning and Patrick as at Patrick Kotner. That's C-O-T-N-O-I-R. Why it's not Cotnoir, I have no idea but it's Kotner. And of course, it would be remiss of me not to mention Connor's excellent podcast, Dead Eyes, in which he chronicled his attempts to get to the bottom of why Tom Hanks had him replaced in the cast of Band of Brothers at the very last minute, and Griffin's excellent Blank Check podcast, which he briefly mentioned during the interview. You can also see the guys at Star Wars Celebration this weekend, where they'll be taking part in the Star Wars Minute podcast's live show on Sunday, April 9th. Oh, and speaking of live shows, as I mentioned, we're doing our live show, a celebration of Return of the Jedi, on Saturday, April 8th at 4pm on the Holonet News Stage at the XL in London. If you are a ticket holder at Star Wars Celebration, you could just rock up to that, and we would love to see as many of you as possible. And tickets, I believe, are still on sale for the George Lucas talk shows, Soho Theatre shows on Friday and Saturday. Go to www.sohotheatre.com to book. Right, I think that's it for the shameless plug-in. I'm off to start loading in Empire Podcast episode info into the IMDb. Should be done by, well, if I start now, October. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.